0: All right, welcome back to day number four of our five days of spring muskie fishing here on Backlash Podcast. Today we're going to talk to Kevin Goldberg. We've had Kevin on three previous times, so you can look back on different episodes and you can find Kevin. He's usually we talk to him about fall fishing, and we we do generally talk a little bit about spring with him, but we don't. It's not usually like the time of year that we're targeting, so that's definitely going to be a different feel for us with uh, talking to Kevin this week. And as per usual, as per the rest of the week, we're going to just talk, uh, same kind of stuff, water temperatures, weed growth, bait size, trolling, casting, you name it. It's kind of been the the theme of the week. We're just getting people ready for their musky seasons. Cause the Wisconsin, Southern Wisconsin season opens up here pretty quick. Illinois, they're already fishing PA, Ohio, West Virginia. They're all going a couple of them, New York. They're not and Minnesota. They're not either. So just getting everybody jacked up for a new 2022 muskie fishing season well
1: the cool thing jeff is kevin always offers a ton of knowledge maybe not your household name but kevin is an, an incredible angler he always provides us with a ton of knowledge that uh, we can use and go forward into the season with and so i'm looking forward to this one
0: yeah well absolutely kevin gets on the water as much as any guide does but yet he's He's not a guide, so he's not trying to sell you anything in particular or even necessarily keep secrets, right? I mean, he's just looking to help people catch muskies. So that's the cool thing about Kevin.
1: Absolutely. He he wants to see people successful, so he's willing to share. I mean, that's the bottom line. So stay tuned. This one should be a really good one.
0: Absolutely. And if you're looking for gear for your upcoming muskie fishing adventures, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. We have pretty much everything for your musky fishing needs and then you can also check out muskymayhamtackle.com and stop on by pick up some cowgirls some junior cowgirls some triggers some detonators and the new grenade you can find that all out at muskymayhamtackle.com and that's about it for this intro for this episode we will go dial up our conversation with kevin goldberg all right, our guest today is Kevin Goldberg. If you're interested in what Kevin has to say, you can listen to episodes 125, 77, and 27. Earlier this week on Phil's episode, it seemed like I had talked to Phil like a couple months ago, and it turns out it was almost like about six, seven months ago, so I thought I'd do a little homework on this one. That's when you can find Kevin. We haven't talked to Kevin during the springtime. We've talked to him only in the fall, so Kevin, this will be interesting. We're going to talk about spring muskie fishing with you. Thanks for coming out again. We appreciate you, as always, taking time out of your schedule to be on our podcast.
2: Yeah, no, you guys are very welcome. I'm glad you uh, invited me back on. It's a fun time of year. I always love talking about spring. I mean, it's, it's one of my favorite times of the year to fish outside of the fall. So, yeah, I'm glad to be back on.
0: Kevin, let's just get right into it. So, we've talked about this all week long. We've talked about water temperatures first. And if you read any musky magazine or publication, they always talk to you about finding the warmest water in the springtime. And we're asking uh, to you, is that something that really concerns you or how do you go about finding fish location in the spring?
2: For me in in the springtime, like, yes, I know the warm water is important, but I don't like live and die by it. I don't just have to find like the warmest water. I think it's a good starting point and, and surely always worth checking. But I feel like in each individual lake, there may be a certain, you know, let's say if the lake's split in basins, maybe maybe in the southern basin, even though it's not as warm, you can still find warm waters within that basin. And I think that can be equally as important. It's not the warmest in the whole lake, but just finding a temperature increase of two to three degrees, maybe it's a... Uh, Decent sized bay with deep water access close by, and you know they used it for spawning. And being a little bit warmer, yet it's just a little further along, and you'll find more active fish in that area. So I do like warmer water, but I don't think it's like I said, I think each section of the lake has prime spots in it that are good. And typically in the spring, they just happen to be a little bit warmer with a little more possible weed growth going on, and they're just further along in general in the season.
0: That's interesting that you say that. Cause I've heard that now from a couple people that they, that's kind of how they were. They say, find the warmest water within the area that you're fishing, not necessarily chasing around the entire lake to find the warmest water.
2: Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes also it's like, depending, you might find stuff that maybe one section of the lake is honestly, it could be, it could be choked out almost. Maybe, maybe it's been warm and it was a warm spring and you go look for that warmest water and you're going to find, you know, weeds to the surface, possibly, you know, I mean, I know in some of our lakes, it's like that actually sometimes going further south or looking for water that maybe isn't as far along ends up being a good thing, you know? So it just depends on the particular
0: spring also. Well, let's talk about that weed growth then. Cause you mentioned that how important are weeds for your early season fishing?
2: Around here, where I live, fishing in Ohio and Pennsylvania primarily for the post spawn period. When I when I'm trolling, and I know it's going to sound crazy, but when I'm trolling, for me, it's like if the if I got good milfoil and the weed growth is good, it's easy for me to set up. Like if I'm seeing milfoil and emergent weeds like setting up on flats and stuff outside of those spawning locations, and any kind of area that I'd say is long enough to put a decent troll together you kind of know it's going to be a good day trolling. You can short line, you know, to mid-depth line over that stuff, and I kind of know you're going to put together a bite. However, that's for me, it's more important trolling, which I know is sounds strange. But when I'm casting, not so much, but a lot of it is because of the areas and the lakes I fish. Casting-wise, you know, if I go up and it happens to be that maybe it's been a cooler spring and the fish have spawned, but there's honestly no weeds you can still, where we live, go up into the, go fish like the biggest feeders or the biggest creek arms or bays and cast. And I'm basically just casting shallow, you know, there's basically there's wood. It's a lot of wood on the shoreline. You're casting timber um, that's actually just extending out into the water. It's not standing timber, but you're just casting like lay downs. And uh, it's just shallow water that happens to be a little warmer. And you can tell it's right outside of where the, they've already, you know, done their spawning and they're starting to move out, but they're not quite out onto the main like humps and spots yet. So they're just kind of extensions of those shallow bays. And if there's weeds, great. And sometimes there is, but it's not as important for me to, that that's like a confidence thing I need for casting. I, I do plenty of casting on just lay downs and just warmer water that's just outside those bays. One thing about the trolling, too, that I didn't say, if you are trolling and there doesn't happen to be weeds present or they seem behind, they're not really grown up yet, you might see little ticks of them, there's still fish in those areas. It's not like they're not on those flats and stuff as well, because they still are, but I just find the overall success rate goes down a little bit for me. My confidence isn't quite as high, and if I troll it and I'm not seeing like the weeds like I want, and maybe the fish aren't quite set up in the numbers, I think they are, it's real quick for me to just turn to go casting because it's like an alternate when you don't have a good weed year. That's an alternate option for structures to go cast the shorelines and cast the layouts. You know, I just want to say that as well.
1: I have kind of a random question. I don't know if Brad and Jeff followed through with this in the last couple of podcasts cause I wasn't there, but Are you a, we're kind of doing a mini survey. Do you sharpen your trolling bait hooks or do you leave them factory?
2: Uh, I always sharpen them. Yeah, there's actually, I mean, people make fun of me sometimes. I make this face, but I like, I can't help it. Like I have to sharpen everything. Every once in a while, there's something that just feels really good factory sharp. Typically those black hooks on like a little bit smaller baits. Some of those are sharp enough, I feel. But a lot of it's probably in my head. And I think what happened to me from all the days trolling, some days there's been times we lose fish. And a lot of times I'll go to check the hook and there's either a rolled point or it's soft or I couldn't stick it into my thumbnail. And it's like, uh, and I just can't help think that that's not what caused me the loss. But I have to admit sometimes with trolling, I feel like there are times where it's probably my hooks are honestly too sharp. And that might sound like, well, how could they be too sharp? If they're sharp and you get through the bone, through the jaw, that's one thing. But if they're really sharp and they're, like, light biting or you're getting them in the skin or underneath the jaw or in the side of the cheek or face, well, unless the drag is loose enough, and you don't know that when they hit, unless the drag is loose enough that it can definitely get lined, no problem. Sometimes short lining, real sharp hooks, I know they, like, skin grab them and, like, the first head shake and they're gone. There's a little bit of both sides of that, but I still weigh on the... Uh, the, the side of i always sharpen
1: them yeah it's an interesting concept i mean uh, carrie i think did you put a survey on Again, facebook
0: i put a survey
1: on facebook and our instagram page i think the backlash podcast once and right now the last time i checked right now sharpening was winning i think mm. i've seen it a few times and we've talked about this uh before but talked with captain philip bowerly as well and he's one that doesn't sharpen his trolling hooks uh, matt Seifert doesn't i quit doing it a few years ago because i was experiencing a bunch of losses with particular baits and i think a lot of times when they're heavy big giant baits you don't always hook them right where you want to hook them and i think a dollar hook sometimes plants that bait where it needs to be hooked and i definitely have seen a curve and and catch results but you know, that's a crazy, crazy topic, that's for sure. And I, it's funny Carrie brought that
2: back up. I'm going to see where the survey ends up. You know, it's, uh, to me, I think it, it's so relative to what, it, what lures, in fact, they are. Like, um, that's a lot of it. Like So, like, when I'm trolling spring and, like, small baits and, and let's say, softer rods, so to speak, uh, maybe not trolling as fast and things of that nature, my drag's a little looser. I'm short lining, any kind of anything like that. I would say, yeah, like I definitely got to have sharp hooks because a lot of times that's all I got. That's the only thing that does it. The rod's not doing much. The drag is not doing that much. If I put too much drag, I'll bend the hooks out. So like things like that change it versus next thing you know, I'm up somewhere and speed trolling along and running, you know, 3X strong hooks. Like let's say maybe like even springtime, a little Ernie hook. Well, a little Ernie hook is a strong, heavy wire hook. So when that's the case, it's like, yeah, then my drag is tighter. You know, if the hooks weren't sharp, I'd probably still get them, even though it's a thicker wire hook, because, you know, I got drags, a stiffer rod. So by the time they hit, they set themselves, you know? So there's a couple sides to that, you know? You know, since
1: you're, you're kind of talking about that short line trolling, another guest that we had on Greg Thomas, you know, he does a lot of short line trolling in Kentucky. I'm curious, when do you normally do your short line trolling? Is it, does it have anything to do with water clarity?
2: For me, it really, I mean, I I have to say, I guess it does just because the fact our lakes are typically always dirty. That being said, I, I have short line, like up in Canada when the water's clear and stuff I have, and I've had success with it, like in the summertime too. Over top of the weeds, but short, you know, not more than 10, 12 feet of line. But I have to say, just in general, most of the time the water is dirty. So it's just dirtier here the reservoirs and the rain and the um, eroded shorelines. So, yes, a lot of our shortlining is definitely dirtier spring water. But it starts for us, you know, in March. And I pretty much shortline all the way up till I take my boat to Chautauqua in the end of May. So, March through May, shortlining is, is pretty good around here, you know. It's just one of those things that's like it's sometimes you're shortlining and it's just because they're up in shallow water and there's no weeds. And then just the same, you know, it gets a little nicer. The water clears up. And by that time, the weeds are coming up a little better when I'm trolling the flax and stuff. And then it's the same thing. I'm still shortlining, you know, then they're just coming up over weeds. But the water does clear up a little by then. So that whole block of time. Short lining is definitely, you know, a good option around here.
1: Let's talk a little bit about bait size. You know, we're talking about spring fishing. um, And maybe you can kind of tie this back together with pre-spawn versus post-spawn because you have the opportunity to do both. Can you talk to me? Are you you normally using bigger baits or smaller baits? What's your go-to
2: baits? I would say number one size for me is four to six inch baits. So small. I mean, in general, small. Whether they're small little stick twitch bait style that I'm trolling, or small cranks, something like a, you know, like that Ernie Grandma Shad style, like crank, or even if i even if it's later, that's like more pre-spawn, little square lip stick baits like like uh, Wiley, did, something like that profile, and then even once it gets to post, and I'm trolling over the weeds by then, typically then it's still, you know, I'm running like four and a half inch Bosch ads or like if it's Wiley, five and a half inch wileys. So it still stays to that six, six inch and down for most of it, you know. Now, there is an exception, like sometimes I will still do good on, it seems like if I'm running stuff bigger than six inches in general, that whole time period, they're typically baits that are, I would just call them lazier. It's not a 7, 8-inch, 9-inch bait that's like a violent or an aggressive wobble or anything like that. It's more along those lines of like grandma action, you know? It's a lazier, wide wobble, kind of a lazier swim. It's not pounding. When you look at the rod, it's not working hard. Because even in the spring, I'll catch them on grandmas and like 8-inch uh, boss minnows and things like that. And a lot of times, like I said, you compare the two of those and the rod's not wiggling nearly as much. It's just like a lazier, easy target. That's about the only thing I'd say for if I am going bigger springtime. That's usually the style bait that it is that goes for me. So let's
1: talk about pre-spawn versus post. I mean, does that, that rule change at all?
2: Not really, no, no. Because even real early pre-spawn, I've still caught them on those like, bigger minnow baits I have. I might be running like where we are, might be a six rod spread for two guys. And maybe I'll run, let's say four baits in that four to six inch size. And then maybe something a little bigger, six, eight inch on one. And I'll even throw like a nine inch on the other. So out of my six rods, it might only be, you know, a third of them versus um, post spawn things change a little bit it's a little more of an aggressive action even if it's under six even if it's six inches and smaller it's more of the harder thumping round lip shad baits for the most part and if it's wiley's it goes from straight to jointed as a change from pre to post spawn more of the jointed come into play for me and post spawn and then maybe i'll do two or three of the rods in a set that'll be over six inches from six to nine that's the main change i would say
1: How about uh, trolling versus casting? I mean, does that change the rules at all as far as size of bait? If you start to do the casting thing,
2: um, are you still following that same suit? No, no, that's one thing. And I always say to myself, I'm like, what could it be? I mean, why is it that I'll pull up the troll and right away I'm going for the four to six inch bait. But as soon as I go to cast, I have no problem putting on a, you know, eight, nine-inch glider or jerk bait, And the only thing I can think, because it, it's weird, I mean, it's almost exact opposite for the trolling. Like, when I cast, it is. The only thing I can think that's different is possibly it's the action. It's that erratic stop-and-go nature of, like, a glider or the side-to-side. Side. It's a big, easy target. So it kind of comes back into play of, like, that one big minnow bait that's lazy. Oh, well, this is actually... You know, it's actually like I'm making it, you know, giving it that lazy part. I'm giving it the pause and it's a, then it beca- it's an easy meal. And I think because of that, I think because of that, you know, that's why I go for bigger when it's casting. Now, if I, the only thing small I really use casting is probably cranks. I will throw like six inch grandmas and like twitch them around. I'll also do like little, um, little just erratic twitch fades that I can, you know, kind of stop and go. And like, I like the ones that kind of hang a little bit. So if you're twitching them, they can like hang on the paws. That's about the only thing in the spring. I still use that's small. I'm not real big on the rattle baits. I, I mean, I know that bite works, but I don't really do it much. It works on some of the lakes around here, but it's just not a, I don't know. I've talked to other guys around here too. That early rattle bait thing, like how it is in Kentucky and some of the other places, doesn't really work as much around here, at least for me. So that's about the only small thing I use is little, little twitch baits. And if I'm throwing bucktails, they're usually smaller. Like uh, I would use, say, like eight, you know, or like say from you guys, like I would use the showgirl. i caught him on like baby girl, or I'd use the, you know, maybe a double showgirl. That's about the norm here for early season. Well, typically,
1: I mean, Ohio's maybe a little bit different, but say you're going to Chautauqua because, you know, that's uh, the third week in May, that opener. Um, typically, you're dealing with a lot more opener pressure in most cases anyway. I see that throughout the Midwest for sure, where everybody's a musky fisherman that opening weekend. How are you dealing with most of that opener pressure?
2: For the opener, like pressure around around the, a natural lake like Chautauqua, it's kind of, luckily it's a big lake, and I mean, you could spread out a bit, but you see a lot of the guys trolling. I would say you, you do see a lot of people trolling. You know, I'll troll the lakes just like they are, and I'll get right in there and troll. But sometimes, just to get around the pressure, you know, even just to pull up and cast. Fishing there, it's kind of like you know, if, if everyone's trolling, fishing shallower water and like trolling down in the shallow end, you might be able to just pull up and fish the weed line. And then you're just fishing basically inside of where the guys are trolling. And just that alone, sometimes, especially early can be really good because then you definitely want to find the weed beds that are the furthest or long. And they're seeming like they're the most progression in the season, but You could pull up and cast those and it can be amazing And yet, there's guys, you know, trolling right outside of you. And and I mean, I've been that plenty myself, but there is one other thing to that too. Sometimes even trolling in the spring, I feel like I've seen it more so in natural lakes than I have in the reservoirs. But there's a time after the spawn where it feels like it seems like those bigger females kind of go out, even if it's a shallower basin, let's say a basin that tops out around 20 feet. They'll go out in the middle and they kind of, they're suspending. It's almost like they're socking and just kind of recovering from the spawn, but they don't want to be in there tight with all the males and everything and in the weeds. And I've seen them step out totally outside of the weed edge, sitting in the open basin. And a lot of times they're suspended, you know, I'm going to say five to eight, nine feet down, just sitting out there. And sometimes that's a way to get away from the pressure too it looks like people think you might not know what you're doing and you're out there trolling right smack in the middle of the lake with your spread. But a lot of times you'll catch some of the nicer females then, and you can tell they're just recovering from spawn, you know? So I'd say that's are two ways to avoid the crowds and the pressure. They pull up and cast the weeds tight for action. And obviously sometimes you get big ones there too, or B, go out and fish the open basin and just still keep the lines higher and fish those suspended it seems like more often than not, there are bigger females recovering from the spot. Do you feel that uh, that has something to do with the bait fish
1: that are in that particular body of water as well? Or is that something that uh, maybe you don't necessarily consider? But it seems like, you know, our Cisco based lakes, obviously, there's a lot more fish out in those open basins. And maybe that's just due to to uh, the depth of our bodies of water i'm just curious what your thoughts are is it a bait fish thing is it a depth thing i I do believe when you said the recovery thing it definitely seems like they're just out there just to kind of chill and and sun themselves and relax
2: Mm -hmm. but like you said that being said there is definitely bait out there like there you'll see you know bigger schools of like emerald shiners you'll see that kind of heavy uh, from the surface down, you know, top six feet and stuff mainly. And then you'll see, um, you know, at times you'll see like columns. I call them haystacks. They look like haystacks on the graph of perch, yellow perch in there. So it's both, you know, it is both. I always just feel like the, the female part's interesting because typically in that, like wherever you find the bait, you find both. But it, it does seem like... Overall, your average size, and you're doing that, they are a little bit better. I don't know if it's that way in Minnesota as well, if you find you get bigger ones or if it's a whole mixed bag and they're all out there. But it seems like there, it's like, in other words, if you pull up and pound at the weed line for the opener and you're seeing a bunch of 30 to 36 inch fish, you can switch gears and troll, and it's like it kind of reverses and it's more 30 you'll see more of the 37 on up and more females and up into the big, you know, 50 inch class fish. Right. So I wonder if if it's similar in Minnesota, do you get the small ones out there too, or not nearly as much? It definitely seems like the
1: smaller fish are out there. You know, our, our season starts the first Saturday in June. So
2: Mm -hmm. the spawn
1: is over and it's, it's amazing. If you went out on opener and you started trolling open water, you're going to see some of the smaller males, right? And so Mm -hmm. as the season progresses, you'll start seeing those bigger females moving out there, or maybe they've recovered enough where they're starting to eat, you know, but the one thing that I can tell you, you know, and this has been something that we've talked about a bunch on the podcast here over the week is calendar dates versus, you know, the seasonal progression, you know, as far as weather and temps and things like that. I mean. I do think that I do see some calendar things that happen and it's not necessarily related to the moon as much as it is calendar dates when fish start to move out to certain bodies or certain parts of the body of water. So I see that like literally every year I'd say last year was a weird year because we had such an early spring and it just, I think it was already done before we got out there. But then again, I can say that, but our normal calendar days of the month of June, we started catching fish in the open water again. So it's really strange to me. You know, I mean, the progressions happen, but there's something to be said about calendar times too. And I don't know if you see that, Kevin.
2: For sure. I mean, I'll look back at my phone and I'll see, oh man, we did really good, you know, May 3rd. And then I look back the year before just for the heck of it to check, And sure enough, 2020, same thing. First week of May, like I- I'm seeing it. And it's like, I know there's no way in heck that the weather was the same each early May. So you can just tell whether it's the light in the day, they know like from when it gets dark and there's that much light in the day and the, you know, spring peepers come out and all that. And and like, I don't know if that's what it is, but there's something to that because sure, if the weather is great, it might be even better. But I'm just like you said, the calendar days are definitely, there's something to that because I'll specifically try to be back at these certain lakes at those same times weather aside even though it's your friend hey the fish still got to go and do as they do and i think they do it by like i said the time in the day or the amount of light that there is and so forth they just kind of know and they can't like my buddy that used to work for the fish commission always said they those fish can't just wait around on temperature they got other things on their mind you know they they got to do what they got to do temp aside if it's not going to cooperate you know, you're going to have some weird thing happen. You might have fish that spawn for longer and things like of that nature. But the end result is, I still try to correlate with those. You know, coincide with the uh, calendar days because that's definitely the truth. And I see it on my phone each year, you know. So I definitely believe in that. Yeah, I think
1: as musky anglers, we would all pretty much agree that, you know, weather is definitely a key for, for biting fish, but It just amazes me and you hit it right on the head looking on your phone looking at past pictures the dates of when those fish were caught it's amazing it always seems to hold true and and it might be a little bit different per lake i would say you know i mean if you're way up north versus being down south those dates might vary a little bit but i think it was greg thomas in one of the previous podcasts we did this week mentioned that he kind of believes it's maybe the photo side of things, you know, the daylight hours, how many hours of daylight we have that maybe triggers the spawn more so than water temps. And I don't know, I it's kind of interesting I wonder what your opinion is on that. You know, if we have nine hours of daylight versus 12, I mean, does it make a difference?
2: Yeah. I mean, I I think it does. I, I do. I'm a pretty firm believer in that, you know, and, uh, like I say, cause I've seen it where we've had like a crappy, crappy spring and the weather's lousy. And then next thing you know, even though you're out there, you're thinking, oh, hopefully, you know, they will be, they should be done with the spawn." and you go out there and you're thinking so. And it's like, even though the weather's been lousy, it's right on track or darn close to how it would normally be. Even though the weather's been subpar for a month. It's like, I think that tells me like it's gotta be, well, I've seen it already this year to be truthful with you. It's been a lousy spring here, okay? And even though I'm pre-spawn fishing, there's already fish. I've already gotten some photos from some of my buddies of fish that are post-spawn, spawning scars and everything else. And the general comment is, no way, those fish are spawning. The water's only 47 degrees, you know? That's right. But normally, it would be warmer by now. So that tells me, even if it's not the norm, some of those fish are like, hey, you know, we got the light change. We, we had our daylight savings time going to effect. It's this many hours in the day. Fish are, I'm already seeing fish on side scan in pairs. Well, I don't care if the water temp's not reading 55 to 58 yet. They're already setting up for it, you know. And I've already seen, there's some that I've already seen some females actually that have already spawned and they're like skinny and they can't be males around here. The males don't grow that big. And, you'll see, like, I've seen a picture of, you know, 46-inch females that are already spawned out. So, kind of crazy. So, that tells me not other than what you said, the, the light in the day and the time. Cause normally, yes, they would be and it can be by now, you know.
1: It is interesting. Uh, Captain Philip Bowerly actually mentioned a lot of times his clients are within the same day every year, you know. So, the past five years, say you were in my boat on those dates every stinking year and it's weird and that kind of measures the calendar as well no different than you looking back on your pictures of your phone Mm -hmm. it's it's interesting i mean it truly is and i think there's so many things that you know can compile the information is so abundant and so crazy it's almost hard to manage mentally anyway but you know using your phone with pictures and so on and so forth there is ways to manage that or maybe you're a note taker i've never been really good at that and so sometimes i struggle but uh, i do have some buddies that are really good at keeping notes on a daily basis throughout Mm -hmm. their seasons you know and you have 20 years of information and you know it's amazing to me and when i've struggled i've called some of those buddies and said hey you know, I kind of remember back in 07, the weather was really similar. The water camps seemed to be around similar, but I don't remember what we were doing to get those fish and they'll go back and look. And sometimes that can make or break your days. It's pretty amazing. I mean, if you're good at doing that, I definitely would encourage it.
2: For sure. Yeah. I used to do that. I have like about, I don't know, I have close to 20 years logged where I used to do everything. And, uh, I, and I used to do the video and I learned a lot from watching my own videos. They were just for fun, but, but they were also informational I'll do for myself, looking at the date, looking at the time, looking at where I was. So I have those two things that I do reference from time to time. I no longer log now. Now I've kind of changed. The only thing I do now, as opposed to the logging is now when I go on trips, if it's a trip that I know is an annual trip, let's say I'm going to Georgian Bay or let's say I'm going up to uh, like Northwest Ontario for a week or things like that or a trip that's maybe an annual trip that I do that I know I'm probably going back. I'll take my own log of that particular trip, what we caught them on, what were line lengths, where were we getting them? I'll do that and I'll save those in my phone and I'll do that to look back on versus the old log book. It might not say every little detail, but it's enough. It's the water temp. It's the time of year the wares, and then, then like I said, the line lengths and stuff like that helps a ton for trolling trips. So that's what I do anymore. So don't do it daily, but I do it on trips that are going to be a recurring trip in the future, you know? And I do it salmon fishing, too. I salmon fish a few times a year, and when I do that, I always log those just because, you know, it's kind of the same way. It's an interesting point. You talk about temp, and it made me think of the salmon right away. Everyone talks about the salmon run. Well, like when they come up into, you know to do their drop their eggs, and it's like, yeah, do you want it to be perfect, and, and everyone waits for this temp, and they say staging salmon, they're only going to stage so long. They're not just going to wait for a temp. Eventually, they just go. So kind of makes me think I know it's a totally different species, but it makes me think of the same thing. I've been when they're there when the salmon aren't supposed to run because they don't have temp inside, as they say it's not cool enough. And next thing you know, you're firing like crazy inside because they give up, they're going, regardless of the temp, you know? So just another added thing to that, I was thinking when we were talking.
1: Yeah, definitely a valid point. That's for sure, Kevin. You know, I was kind of chuckling here for a second because you were talking about writing down all the details of of certain particular trips and what have you. And it made me think of the late 90s. I bought a Polaroid camera and every stinking fish that I caught I would write in a black Sharpie on the bottom of those Polaroid pictures because it had that little white spot down there. And that was my method of taking notes years ago. And it's funny. I ran into them, I think, last summer, and I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, I got hundreds and hundreds of these Polaroids, and I'm like, this is insane. I mean, there's a ton of knowledge there, but how do you manage it? You know, so... I don't know with today's phones and and you can put it right in your notes. It's definitely way easier. And actually there's a few apps out there where you can enter all that information as well. So I do not do that. I probably should. It's crazy. I'm sure I've forgotten a lot of different things that have worked for me in the past, just because I don't have anything to fall back
2: on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting. It's definitely a lot different now. Like you said, I look at my old logbook, and it's like carrying around It's big, (laughs) it's huge you know it's funny to look at versus now it's like everything being on your phone it's so hand you know hands-on you could have it in a second don't have to flip through anything it's like man is that nice you know sometimes i wish i would have had that for years ago but it is what it is and luckily from all the time fishing similar bodies of water around here i don't do it there anymore but like i said any travel stuff it's a good option to have it to do on trips for
0: sure I'm assuming at some point there's a trolling bite for you that's not necessarily like the open water stuff that Brad does. Do you think those things exist in Wisconsin and Minnesota, those bites?
2: I would think so, just because, like I say, even though a lot of the stuff when I'm talking is reservoir, there's also plenty of it that's natural lake, and not just Chautauqua, like a lot of those PA lakes I fish. Pennsylvania reminds me a lot of Wisconsin. It's a lot of smaller there's natural glacier lakes there, and there's smaller acreage and things of that nature. Some of them, you know, a lot of them do not have shad. It's more of a perch, walleye, sawgye kind of base, panfish, bluegill is like the forage. So I, I would say yes, I'm sure that's something that like, they could do out there that would work. We kind of have the two. Like we do have that open water, which we talked about, but I'm sure... Same thing there. If the guys, you know, in the Midwest wanted to try it, if they're not doing it already, I'm sure they could go out and just first thing they would do is find the most major spawning areas that, have, that concentrated what they assume the biggest amount of the muskies in the system. Start there. And there's a few things you can do because of the different lakes that I fish. I'll give you a couple examples. Like some of them, the bays are big enough that it's almost like a lake within a bay. And you can actually go in and troll around the edges of, the, of that bay and troll in the open of the bay as well like as you're cutting across. You'll just find fish in there. You'll see them on side scan. You'll see them on 2D. They'll either be in the shorelines, like I said, leading out of the back bay, and you'll see them you know, over top of the weeds if there's weeds growing up. And if there's not weeds, you'll still see them on those, you know, on those bald shorelines. Like on, I call them like on the bald flats. You'll see fish there. And there'll actually be some fish just kind of staging just outside of that too. It's like you could tell they're not moving to the main lake stuff yet. So it's that little sweet spot of time in between where now they're starting to move. And when there's fish scattering like that, and they're starting to move. there's no better way to cover the water than trolling. So I'm sure guys could do that if you have big enough bays and stuff to do so. And the second thing would be, if not that, Maybe it's a, maybe there's a few small bays in the lake and a couple of different spawning areas, and like I have a lake around me that's like this. That once they're done in the spawn, to go in there and try to troll around, I mean you're going to get dizzy doing loop de loops, you know. So because of that, you go out to like I find the closest main lake structures that I know they are going to. And if these guys out in the Midwest fish these lakes often, and they know their typical midsummer humps and points and spots they like to fish. Look at the connect the dots between. Look at those main lake spots that they already know and love next to the spawning bays that they know they came out of and that connect the dot line in between, whether it's maybe it's a north shore and that north shore has a flat that is five to nine feet of water and maybe it's got good weed growth on it that's starting. A spot like that, they can. I guarantee they could go to that and troll like, you know, maybe five to 10 feet of line on whatever style baits they're used to using. I mean, they can try six inch stuff like I was talking or they could go bigger if that's what they're you know, used to using there. But either way, just keep it shorter and troll over those flats, whether bald or weed growth starting. And then, you know, throw some jointed baits in the mix and put them maybe in the wash rod or on a planer board. If you like, they like using side planers or what have you, or stern board put those back maybe 15 to 20 feet, you know, the square lip, shallow or diving jointed and cover those flats. I mean, if, if they comb those flats, there's only so many places they are. They're either in those shallows, then they spawn, then they're making the move to get out to the main lake stuff. They're not quite there yet and they're following bait. And the next thing you know, they're on their midsummer hunts, but there's no way if you guys got flats or bays big enough to troll it, I'm sure if you did some of that stuff, or they do, and try it, I would be amazed if that would not work trolling. I would think they could for sure put that bite together.
0: You know, in that instance, do you think that if you were doing that type of trolling that you're going to contact more smaller males? Like, I guess my question then would be, how fast do you think the females go from spawning to open water?
2: (laughs) That is tough. I would say... Yeah, I always I always say check the pulse. You gotta check the pulse on both. I mean in a natural lake like that, if it just so happens to be that it's the setup like we talked about where the spawning bays are not so big and they're not big enough to go in and like troll around and you're trying to cover water. You fish those flats and stuff and the shorelines leading out of those, I think both are there. You're gonna catch males for sure. You're gonna catch females. If there's weed growth there, there's gonna be forage in those areas and everything's right, so I think you could do it all there. And if you're, if you're doing it and you find all your gettings males and yet you know the spawn is completely done and you're wondering where those females are, well, that's kind of where it's like, okay, you know, let's go out and give it a spin deep. I mean, I've had a time where I'm fishing the flats and I'm catching fish. Uh, honestly, this, this happened to me just recently, too, even though it was pre-spawn, similar thing you know, you get a 30 inch or a 32 or a four and you're like, ah oh man, you know, maybe it's just not there yet. And next thing you know, you know, the reel explodes and you, and you know, we're holding this big, you know, 49 and a quarter inch pig, you know, and literally two fish before that, you'd have to tie them together. You know what I mean? So it's like just when it starts weighing on your mind a little bit, like it has just the right thing. Next thing you know, bang. And it's the same thing post-spawn on those spots. I mean, if you fish it, and if you do, and you're not getting anything big and no sign of it, you may want to just spin out to the next break, the next break line out from that. And sometimes just doing that, you'll start marking these bigger marks suspended. And one, if that's the case and I see that when I turn out and I start marking bigger hooks sitting suspended, well then yeah, it's time to give that a few spins and see if you can't get something going. But usually You don't have to go too far from that, from either the bay, the break line that's next, it's, you know, the shallow flats and shorelines extending out of the bay. And it's like, sometimes I'll just turn the boat one break line out and there's usually bigger marks. So those might be the ones out staging a little further than are the females, but it's typically easy enough to check them all in a day, you know? Because I assume these are generally smaller lakes on average, right?
0: Yeah, I would say. I mean, the majority of the lakes in northern Wisconsin are, I would say, fairly small. I mean, small would be, Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a few over 1,000 acres, but the far majority are under 1,000.
2: Yeah, yeah. So that would be very similar to those PA lakes I talk about. That's kind of what I would do there. There's times I go out, I'll cast in the morning, fish the bays that I know they just spawned in. And sometimes I'll see like remnants of what was going on. You catch a little like dink and I'm like, yeah, something's going on. And there's like nothing going on. And the temp's a little warmer. It's in the low sixties and I'm just not feeling it. And the weeds are kind of getting thick in there. It seems like it's already done and moved on. It's further along than where I'm thinking. And then as soon as I step out and set up lines and troll that extending shoreline out of there, instantly we start catching fish. And sometimes you'll get a few males and then boom, you get a nice big female. So that's why I say you got to do both. And sometimes you do that and you get males or, or maybe it's not even. Sometimes it's further along than you think or maybe the weather pushed them out because the weather does that too. Sometimes a front will come in that night and the fish will instantly stage out a little bit further. So sometimes it just depends on the particular day you're there. So a lot of times if I do that and I know it looks right, the, the spot looks good and the weeds are looking good, but nothing's happening. I'll instantly try out deeper just to see. And sometimes it saves you, you know, but like I say, typically that's easy enough to do that. It's just as easy as that. I'm not changing bait. And I just let out more line, and turn out one more contour line. And next thing you know, you find them there, you know?
0: So Brad, quick question so. for you then would be how long do you think before the muskies say in Minnesota lakes go from spawning to the open water bite? Is it a matter of days? Is it a matter of hours? What do you, what, what's your guess? Obviously, It's just a guess because it's very hard to determine what actually takes place when they actually spawn.
1: Well, it's kind of, I hinted towards that earlier when Kevin asked me, you know, what the dates are and how those fish react and are we seeing the smaller fish out there? It's amazing. I mean, year to year, you can always catch some smaller males right from day one. The first day of the season, that whole first week, you're going to see some of those males out in that open water. And then it slowly transitions, you know, and you get into that second, the end of the second week, into the third weekend of June, and you're going to start seeing the bigger fish out there. It's pretty much like almost to the calendar. It's amazing how well that works. And unfortunately, you know, usually when we get to that first of July, you're going to start seeing the uh, thermocline start developing and we start ended up having issues with that. It's amazing how far you can call fish up. Even if you have your baits up high, you're calling fish right from that edge, and it's pretty hard on them. So that's when we shut it down. They, there's fish out in that open water throughout the whole season, don't kid yourself. But there is definitely that transition.
2: And I think I would say overall, I was just trying to think of how long roughly a time frame, Jeff, to give you from when it spawn starts to when they're on their, set up on their full-blown summer haunt. And just from looking at photos and knowing the particular lakes that I visit, revisit often, I would say to give it a time frame, it's probably about a month and a half, okay? If fish are spawning here by mid-April, by mid-May, most of them here are all pretty much recovered and they're setting up and they're on those spots we talked about. But by the time you hit the end of May, those, you can go to any main lake spot on that lake. There's going to be fish there, you know? Like, so it's usually, it's, that's all done and over with in about a month and a half time for that whole thing to take place, you know? That's what yeah. it is around here. I don't know about out there, but that's, that's my time frame guess. I'd say about a month and a half.
1: Yeah, I would say that you're probably really close to that, Kevin. You know, it's probably more like a month here. And I think the biggest right. transition difference for us is, is that, I mean, I'm looking out the window right now and it's snowing. Like crazy again. I mean, think about that. I think our weather, you know, your weather kind of warms up starting probably in February, you know, where our weather starts warming up, uh, hopefully, the end of March, like this year, hopefully by the end of April. <laughs> but um, I think our, our water temps and our weather changes so drastically versus the South. And what I mean by that is, in a period of 30 days, we go from ice to basic water temps where you are probably currently right now you know what i'm saying yeah
2: that 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 makes perfect sense
1: it's kind of a strange little deal but i would say anywhere from like around 30 days from the spawn happening to when those fish move and transition out into that deeper water i'd say it's around 30 days by calendar but now keep in mind earlier some of those males they're going to be out there right away so i mean don't think you can't catch out there i guess is what i'm saying
2: and that's an interesting point because i guess I, I keep talking the month and a half and for me that's there's a couple of those weeks i'm fishing that's that pre-spawn time where you guys when your season starts the goal is to be being that those are like natural lakes and natural reproduction and a lot of them and things like that they're hoping that when you start they're already the spawn is hopefully over at that time that would make sense because that other half a month i'm talking that's when i'm fishing like now you know, like the pre-spawn stuff. So that, that makes perfect sense. It does. Because like, I would have to relate to it with the Chautauqua. Well, we start when the spawn's hopefully over end of May. Well, by the end of June, I mean, you give it a month, those fish, it's it's done. It's full blown. They're where they are, you know. I just get to watch those pre-spawn movements a little closer here. Cause I, I mean, I fish every week at home from, I mean, at least try to get out once or twice a week starting in like March. Usually later March I start. Like I think March fifteenth I take the boat out of the garage and from there on. So I got a good month and a half in to where the fish are done here fully. You know. Do most of your bodies
1: of water down there in Ohio? Do they do they freeze over? Do they cap?
2: Most of them do. Yeah, they about all freeze. Some of them it's really short lived. Like some of our southern Ohio lakes, you'll get a freeze on them in like. Sometimes early to mid January they finally freeze, and then by mid February it's already ice coming off. So some of them get like a month of ice, and some of them a month and a half. And like even the ones by me, you get about two months. That's it. It's been
1: interesting to me, Kevin, that uh, a lot of times you just don't hear about a bunch of guys fishing down there throughout, like say February. I mean, why is it that March becomes the time frame that you generally pick to start fishing again?
2: It's more more of anything. It's just because like what happens is I know some guys have it like available where they just pull the boat out and they go, but like a lot of it's to make that commitment and like, okay, I'm pulling the boats out and then making this happen. Usually what happens for me in February, you'll look at the forecast and one or two days is decent and five of them are just crap, you know? So it's like, oh man, then I'm going to be shoveling snow off the darn boat and everything else. I leave it out. So it's like, I think that's a lot of it. Come March, it's finally like most of those storms coming through typically are over by then. But for the guys I know that can and do sneak out and go, a lot of them do pretty well, you know? So like, there's definitely a bite there. If your lake's open, you can go and hit, you know? And, and it sometimes it surprises you. Like I remember last year, I went out in early March and I was like, oh, what the heck? You know, the ice is off. Let's give it a go. And we went in my buddy's boat. and We had like one of our best days in the spring. I mean, the fish were aggressive, like, taking the bait down you know two both hooks in their mouth and like sideways in the job like wow you know where you're thinking ice just came off and you wonder how they are these fish were like charging up and ready to go and all it was was a decent warmth day in March you know that water was cold like 44 45 degrees and they were snapping you know yeah absolutely I seen that last year Kevin I mean we were down in Iowa
1: like I guess it was two or three days after ice out. Now, keep in mind, there were still bays that were still capped, but you talk about crazy. I mean, those fish or the, the water temps were 34 to 35 degrees. I think it hit 36 at one point because it was beautiful. I mean, it was really nice, warm, sunny days. Um, not a lot of wind. And those fish were like supercharged. I mean, I could not believe it. I mean, there's no way you could burn your baits as fast as you
2: wanted. It didn't matter. You know, really remarkable. They crushed the baits. That's for sure. And they're fun fighting that time usually. I was gonna say that too. When you catch those early spring like cold water fish, man, they give you like a good fight. They're like strong, healthy fighters at that time. So, luckily, you have no worries release wise. It's just it's a nice time for that. You know first time this fish seen pressure for the year they typically hit and fight good and, and then it's a nice time for you know releasing everything so it's, it's, I love that early spring for that reason alone I guess you get to enjoy the fish a little more you know it's not let's rush them in not hook them at the side cause it's warm. you know and this and that let's click it it's like you can enjoy the fish a little more enjoy the fight a little bit too and you know what I mean when you release them about barely I'm sure it was that when you guys were in Iowa you could barely hold on to them and they're gone you know
1: Absolutely. I mean, those fish were, I mean, we were going to do some underwater, um, although the water was pretty dirty at that moment. But I mean, you barely get the underwater camera and that fish was gone.
2: I mean, they did not want to stick by the boat. That's for sure. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. I love that show. I saw you guys put on there on uh, on your new show on YouTube. I watched that one when you were out there. I thought it was awesome. It had It had my attention. I was interested for sure. Well, it it was a fun shoot, that's for
1: sure. And then, uh, you know, you go down there on the wrong other pattern, which I've done already this year. Guess what? You're fighting it hard and pretty much don't get anything done. So I do think weather probably plays a big factor, you know, during this time frame as far as early, early like that. But don't get me wrong i mean we just had the world's worst cold front is what i called it i mean talk about insane uh, 25 was probably the least amount of wind we've seen and we've seen up to 40 mile an hour wind so that did did us no justice as well so it's part of the game now and we fought through it and we ended up with one fish but at the end of the day it felt good to be on open water believe me oh for sure for sure
2: you know, that's, uh, there's one thing, and I, and I don't know you know, if I have talked about this before, but you mentioned the weather and how drastic it changes this time of year. made me think of it. And I may have talked about it on one of the podcasts before, and if so, I apologize because I can't remember. But I always found that one of the most interesting things that I had to reference is I was close friends with a guy named Larry Hines who worked for the Pennsylvania Fish Commission. And he also happens to be a muskie fisherman. When I was fishing a lot and first really getting into this bite in the pre-spawn and early season times, even post-spawn, but early season in general, right? Let's say the first month and a half or so of the season. What I would notice is, let's say it was a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Friday we go out, the waters, let's just say it's 44, 43, 44 degrees. They're out there checking next, okay? It's a decent day, not beautiful, but it's a decent day. Wind's not too bad. You might see the temp in the bays go up a degree or two by the end of the day, kind of day, right? When that was happening, I'd be out there trolling my shallows, doing my thing, checking out the outside areas out front of those shallows, kind of like we talked about. And maybe I'd get a couple small males in the net. Who knows? Maybe I'd get a female on one of the points that heads to deep water coming outside of that little shallow spawning bay or on that shallow flat leading outside of the bay. And that was my day. Well, when I'd get in, Larry Hines would call me. Hey, how was it today, Kev? i seen you out there. I said, ah, you know, pretty decent. I said, we got a couple males, and I did end up getting one 43-inch female um, on the shoreline just leading off that point, heading out into the deep water. He's like, oh, that's interesting you say that. He's like, our nets today, when we checked them in the shallows on the flat, he said, we, uh, in the shallow flat in the bay in the back there, he's like, we had, man, there was quite a few males, some sub-legals even. Was kind of void of females today, but we got a lot of males in there. And then he's like, actually, one of the nets on the point going out, we had a mixed bag of a couple males, and there was actually uh, two or three females in the net. I'm like, interesting. So it makes it where I'm not thinking about the bait I'm running. Am I trolling too fast? Am I doing anything? It was what was happening. He's pulling nets. You can forget about what you're doing fishing-wise, but it was crazy how what I would do would relate to him so closely. And I was like, so then obviously I couldn't wait till the next day. So come Saturday, the forecast might've been, let's say it gets six degrees warmer and the wind's light. Well, now when you start your day, the water temp is similar to what you left. And then it gets up to, you might see 48, 49 degrees in the bays in the evening. Now, when that happened, all of a sudden, those few females that were staged would move right up and next thing you know i got a nice big fat 46 inch or something and another female a couple males in there what a day you know it was a great day and everything lined up the evening was good i talked to larry you know and he's like oh man he's like yeah we were busy today boy, well, those fish moved up in a hurry you know we had them. the points we still got the odd straggler but in the bay themselves man we had a One that had, you know, 10 females and a bunch of males and subs, they were all in there. And it's funny, that story was so neat for me because I'd see it, hear it to confirm firsthand. And the exact same scenario, the week after, the Friday was similar. It was the same kind of thing. And then the Saturday, that night, Friday night, the front came in, winds blew, it got cold. I mean, you woke up and you're, you know, ice on the windshield a little bit drive to the lake and thinking you're going to go back and do your pattern. And you end up combing the shallows and get like a sublegal or a, you know, a little dink or something. It's just slow. It's not happening. So you end up to put a bite together trying to go for those fish that you know they were there, but they would just retreat and step off. You might get them on the outskirts of where the shallow spawning bay is, or sometimes they would just move out and sit in open water The nets prove that exactly, because the nets would be empty, no females, maybe a couple males, and then they might get lucky and get the odd one on the outskirts of that spawning bay, maybe. Or maybe there would even be just a few decent-sized males in there, even, even that. So they were the only stragglers left in close proximity. So that was the most interesting thing I ever saw with how drastic, this time of year, did with the fish's movement. I mean, it was amazing. I couldn't wait for that phone call each night to compare notes with what I was doing trolling versus them pulling the nets. I learned a ton from that.
0: It's pretty cool how that stuff all lines up like that.
2: Mm-hmm. It does. And it, it helps you think like you don't have to question, second guess yourself as much. It's almost like you can go out and do that now. And if you know it's not feeling right and you're not seeing it right, you know, it's time to change. Those fish didn't leave the lake. They just might've left that general location where you were getting them. And a lot of times the weather will tell you that. So now if I see three nice days in a row, you know, I know what I'm doing. You know, it's kind of like that. Absolutely. I just wanted to throw that in. I don't know if I talked about that before or not, but I always found that super interesting.
0: So Kevin, before we get you out of here, let's talk a little bit about preseason prep. What's a couple things that anglers that if they're just getting started here, thinking about getting their boats out, what's some stuff that you'd typically advise them to do?
2: as far as equipment goes the, in this, you know, preseason, I'm always, uh, the only thing I do, the two main things I do. Uh, I go through and just like, I check all my reels. And sometimes there might've been a few, I'll say like lost line or tang or who who knows what through the season and your rods are slightly underspooled or things like that. So I just make sure all my lines are back to where I know them because everybody knows their reels different. Some guys use them full, some use them close, but just make sure your lengths are where you thought they were because that's a game changer. If your line lengths are off, you're lost in the game, you know? So that's the first thing. Check all my lines, make sure everything's good. And then uh, sometimes what I'll do, I'll flip, I'll flip my line. If, if I didn't lose it and my spools are the same length, I'll walk them out in the yard and cut it and then re-crank it on from the reverse end. You'll have, you know, a couple hundred yards of Power Pro, which, you know, is, you know, expensive. And instead of just pitching it because it lost its color and it looks a little fray on that end. Well now I'll tie that end to the backing and reel it up and all the line that was sitting at the bottom of the spool you never used. Now you're using those first 30 yards of it. You know what I mean? So I do that preseason, flip my reels and do that to extend the life out of them and then switch up all my leaders and stuff like that. And I I go like early season, I'm using more downsized stuff from John. I, I get stuff from stealth tackle and I get, You know, just downsize my equipment, downsize the overall fits floral. I downsize that, downsize the snaps and hardware in relation to the baits that I'm using, things of that nature. And then that's it for my trolling stuff, really. Just check my rods, reels, reflip the lines, and then my hardware and terminal tackle. Casting-wise, I make sure all my reels are full. I do like my casting reels, definitely all full. Um, so if any of those are not, I will just so I got my retrieve speed right. You know, you're not losing any speed that you need or cadences that you're used to working your baits at. And then again, of course, I'll change my terminal tackle and leaders. And then the other thing I do that I do every year that's a prep for me, and it means a lot, actually, is I go through and it takes me all day. But I actually set all my baits out um, for the season. So like, let's say it's the spring and I'm getting ready pre-season, I'll sit out there, and first I'll grab all my casting stuff from the shows, any kind of baits I bought show season or just didn't use, and then I open my boxes of what I had in there, and actually even some stuff that might have taken a boat ride for four years, I'll go decide, hey, am I going to use this thing or not? So I either take it out and put in the, you know, fill the box with new stuff from the shows or force myself to use it and decide if I'm going to keep it, but just to go through and actually organize your boxes get baits that you either know have been going on a boat ride or new baits you bought that you want to make sure you use them. Well, if they just sit in the drawer, they're not going to get used. So I make sure and put all of my new stuff in the boxes to start versus some of my favorites and then some possible boat riders that haven't had any time to eliminate and evaluate my boxes right out of the season. So that's always a big thing for me. And doing the trolling stuff is a challenge. I'm surrounded by Plano's, but I try to get it all organized. And I even organize by action. If it's a certain lure and I have lots of them, I'll have a Plano just of those. But then I have some like one-offs and two-offs and I'll do action. If it's, okay, these are lazy, subtle baits, I'll have a whole Plano that says subtle. And, you know, I'll have that. Or if it's hard pounders, I'll have that. I'll kind of separate them like that. But then you open your bag that you have a Plano it, and it makes it real organized. Like, hey, the fish are wanting subtle, slow action today. And I'll look through those bins and pick stuff out. So having it organized setup and knowing all the stuff you bought if it's worth keeping or you want it stuff that's big for me so every year I do that um that's pretty much it for my preseason setup the only other thing I do of course is my boats, and I do you know I make sure I do all the motor the lower unit oil all that stuff grease the bearings grease all the zerk fittings for the motors get everything I always do that right before I start because otherwise I start fishing and then I don't want to take the time to do it so I always do it early season before I start, just both the motors and the props and all that. I check all that out. And uh, that's pretty much it for me. Other than that, I'm fishing. They both luckily don't sit that long. So the gas treatment and stuff like that is not as big of a deal for me because it never sits long. The only other thing I do is late season before I quit, if I'm filling my boat up or I'm going on a trip, I always try to make it a point to put the ethanol free just for the month and a half or two my boat does sit. At the end of the season, I always fill with the ethanol-free gas. The country fairs, by me, sell the ethanol-free. I don't worry about it too much during the regular part of the year because I go through the gas fast enough. But if there's a chance that could be my last trip out, that's one thing I do. So I'm in good shape come spring, you know.
0: And that's about it. Lots of good stuff there, Kevin. Before we let you out of here, last question then would be, I guess we've been asking people what they think their forecast would be for this season. Why don't you give an outlook on what you think for the season?
2: I think for this season, I have a feeling it's going to be, in a nutshell, for, for the people that can get out or are still getting out fishing, I think it's going to be they're going to be um, enjoying a lake a lot less filled with people after what we've been through with the COVID and some of the stuff like what's happened to our lakes around here and how busy the boat ramps are. So I think the forecast for going to, getting out and enjoying the lake is going to be a little more enjoyable. I don't think the lakes will be hit as hard, so I think the pressure will be down in turn with that, I think obviously hopefully will be greeted by fish being a little bit more aggressive from the lack of pressure. And, you know, I think overall, just from the way it started for me, like it's been a good season for me already this year. And I can usually get a pretty good gauge by that. Like from what's happened for me so far, I have a feeling it's gonna be a good year. I think you're gonna have a good post spawn bite. And then I think, obviously, going right into summer, if it continues the way it is, I think it's going to be a good year. That, that's my guess. I really think it's going to be a good one.
0: Well, Kevin, we want to thank you for taking time out to come talk musky fishing with us. Especially this this time, we've got to talk early season muskies with you. We've talked late season muskies with you multiple times, and I mean, quite a, quite honestly, I mean, we might do it again. But, anyways, we want to thank you for that. Hope you have a great season. It sounds like it's off to a great start for our listeners. We want to thank you for putting up with episode number four this week and we will have one more for you tomorrow so we will see everybody again with a new episode tomorrow
2: yeah you guys are very welcome thanks again for having me on and i always love doing the show and it's always a great thing to be a part of so i'm glad i could help and hopefully some of the information that was passed on hopefully some of these guys will try it and put that bite in together for this season for them and hopefully have some uh, spring trolling success would be awesome to hear if it was
0: absolutely thanks again kevin You're welcome, guys. Thank you.